Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. I hope you had the opportunity to listen earlier this week to the riveting conversation that I had with Richard Lennar about his doctoral dissertation about Mary and the Ukraine and talking about Ukrainian Marian devotion. In that episode, he talked about the Madonna of Kiev, this tender image, this icon that is really one of the most recognizable icons of the Blessed Mother, commonly called Our Lady of Tenderness. And so today, I'm happy to be speaking with Michael Lichens, who is a good friend of mine in terms of uh, Sophia Institute Press and Catholic Exchange. He's the editor of Catholic Exchange, where a number of my writings appear online. I'm always grateful for his assistance in sharing what it is that I'm writing. And he is actually the spokesperson for a book that Sophia Institute Press recently released. And when I call it a book, it's like a coffee table book. It's The price point is $39.95. So that gives you a sense. It's a bigger book. It's uh, heavy. It's very beautifully done, though. As you page through it, the book is called The World of Marian Apparitions. It's by a Polish author, Vicente Lezuski, and he's going to correct my pronunciation of this name. But this book, The World of Marian Apparitions, subtitled Mary's Appearances and Messages from Fatima to Today. And in this book chronicles a lot of different Marian apparitions, some of them approved, others perhaps more questionable, um, like Lippa, for example, in the Philippines, or the Argentinian San Nicolas apparition. But nonetheless, it's a great resource introducing us to the different places where Mary has appeared. It also focuses on some approved Marian apparitions, such as Our Lady of Borang and Bonneau, two Belgian Marian apparitions of which I have a great devotion. Also in this book, there is the Madonna of Kiev and Ukraine and a Marian apparition that Mary gave a message for the Ukrainian people back in 1987. And today we're talking again about Mary and the Ukraine. So thanks for joining me, Michael. Uh, it's my pleasure, Father Looney. I'm really glad to be on the other side of the interview table. Yeah, I know that we have uh, probably an interview coming up about uh, the the very namesake book of this podcast, How They Love Mary, uh, that Sophia Institute Press is publishing later in April, and you can already pre-order it from their website. So I, I just want to first maybe ask you, what were your initial impressions of the world of Marian apparitions when Sophia Institute acquired it, so they picked it up from this Polish press, they decided to put out a version themselves. When you held it in your hands, what were your first impressions? Uh, well, my first impression of it actually was as a ebook, because that's how I usually review books when we're putting them out. And the file was so big, it took my reader several minutes to load, and that doesn't happen. So I was like, well, there's a lot of pictures. There's a lot of graphics coming up in here. And you see it, especially when you hold it. It is a beautiful book in terms of like giving you the images. Like if you're here's what Mary looks like and how she's presented all across the world. This book is really beautiful for showing the Catholicity, the universalness of Mary, but also how she can be adapted and loved by people all across the world in her various forms and images. And there's a ton of beautiful pictures. Obviously, I do try to actually read the text, and it's almost immediately 
people, along with the pictures, it's a lovely overview of Marian apparitions the last 120 years or so. As you page through the book, and it covers a lot of different Marian apparitions, like I said, some approved, others not, mm-hmm. etc., which one maybe were you drawn to read and study and learn more about? Oh, the one that really, especially I was delighted to learn, I think we're approaching a major anniversary of this apparition. It's the uh, Lady of Tre Fontane in Rome, where a would-be papal assassin uh, goes to the monastery that's built over the site of St. Paul's martyrdom. According to tradition, when St. Paul was martyred, his head bounced three times, and at each spot his head bounced, a spring came up there. So thus, the monastery, Tre Fontane, Three Fountains, was built just south of Rome. And and, um, this man, uh, who I'm suddenly spacing on his name, he was a former anarchist and fought in the Spanish Civil War, and he had a plan to assassinate the Pope, but it was at Tre Fontane he found himself confronted by Mary, and what I would call almost an exact moment similar to what St. Paul experienced on the road of Damascus, like blinding light hitting to the very heart in a very clear condemnation of why do you persecute me? But this time it was coming from Mary regarding the Pope, and he thankfully heard these messages. He changed his life and found himself devoted to Mary, and as a special gift to the Pope later on, he gave to the Pope the knife he had personally purchased in hopes of being able to assassinate him. Uh, this was uh, Pius XII, and I think that one I, I never heard of. I was immediately drawn to it because I love the Abbey, but it's also one of those stories that's just incredible of like, uh, the story of St. Paul is incredible, mostly because when you think about it, it's like how many people, if they're that radical, if they're that devoted to their ideology of hating the church, would actually turn their turn a new leaf and become a new Christian from that experience, and it's hard to imagine us in that, but here it is, another 20th, exa- 20th century example of God's intervention leading to an unexpected conversion. I think one of the great blessings of this book, and especially for me, I, I write a lot about Marian apparitions, I visit Marian apparition yeah. sites, etc., you know, there are some apparitions out there that I really haven't dedicated a lot of time to. I have my favorite ones that I choose to reflect mm-hmm. on. So what's nice here is that I get a very quick overview. I can see the place. There's beautiful pictures, as you mentioned, but I can come to understand what the message was. I have books, for example, like I mentioned the San Nicolas apparition down in Argentina. I have the volume of the messages on my bookshelf. It's a green book, I know, but I've never read them. But now here I can get just a little introduction and maybe then I'm going to be drawn to look at that apparition more now. Or another one that really comes to mind a lot, and you hear about it, is Akita, Japan. That in Akita, uh, our yeah. lady told Sister Agnes, she said that that uh, the bishops would be against bishops. And a lot of commentators today say, well, we're seeing Akita playing out. And I think you look at other apparitions, um, and there were some that I was saddened that they weren't included. Um, for example, mm-hmm. Champion, Wisconsin, I would have loved to have seen that, but I understand the guys from Poland and probably uh, really just focused a lot on the European apparitions. 
Green Bay, the champion apparition, does get a little green star on the map I saw of the world's Marian apparitions and their recognition by the local bishop or the Vatican, etc. So, um, mm-hmm. also too, you know, uh, I'm I'm actually going to Garen Bendel, which I know is a questionable apparition. I just did a whole, I did a whole uh, podcast episode a few episodes ago on Garen Bendel, but I've just been really drawn to know more about that story and to go there and to really understand it. I, it's just really spoken to me over the last two years, and so I'm going to go check it out for myself, if you could say so. That's what I think this book does. It allows us to explore Marian apparitions yeah. that maybe we wouldn't necessarily explore otherwise. Absolutely. And even someone like me, uh, this is a little sad to admit now, but in 2019, when my wife and I were planning our honeymoon, we had Ukraine on our list. We wanted to hit Lviv and Yekiev and you know, see some of these great churches and uh, just m- wonderful monuments to Christianity, especially among the Slavs. And we didn't go in 2019. And I remember taking when we adjusted our trip and deciding we wouldn't be going to Ukraine after all. It's like, all I could think was, oh, I hope it's still there when we finally make it. Because <laughs> Russia's been threatening invasion for years now. It's sort of heartbreaking to consider because. Ukraine is a very rich, in terms of Christian tradition, it is extremely rich. And there, as a result, there have been a lot of miraculous icons, Marian apparitions, uh, apparitions of other saints. And so it's so much to see. And this book even showed me a few sites I had never heard of. Yeah, definitely. Now, why don't we turn to Ukraine and to the Madonna of Kiev? Yeah. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Because as I mentioned uh, in the previous episode with Richard, uh, this image, this icon, Our Lady of Tenderness, was an image that was in the stairwell at the seminary that I went to. And so I would see this image so often. So it's just ingrained in me, you know, as, as one of these beautiful images of the Blessed Mother. So um, what's the story uh, of Our Lady of Kiev or the Madonna of Kiev? Yeah. So this icon was likely came from Constantinople and was given to uh, Vladimir the Great. St. Vladimir the Great is basically through the intercession of his grandmother, St. Olga, who is, along with being an incredible saint, is also one of the fine, most fascinating figures of history in Europe. Uh, she was a Viking descended Slavic princess who basically went on a rampage after her husband was murdered by the Pangshins. And conducted a vengeance in some incredible ways before she herself converted to Christianity and worked on her grandson later on, Vladimir. And Vladimir was the one who went to Constantinople, received baptism, came back, baptized the whole of Kiev in one of the most Slavic moments I've ever read in history, where after he received baptism, he informed the people of Kiev they too had received baptism and had a massive baptism conducted at the Dnieper River right next to Kiev, where there's a statue honoring what's now known as the Christianization of the Rus people. And that moment there is uh, one of the justifications Putin was talking about when he calls Kiev the mother of all Russian cities. 
he's referring to that event when Christianity became the dominant religion in Russian culture. Russian and Eastern Slavic culture in general started to really solidify. Among his conversion gifts to St. Vladimir included this miraculous icon that became known as the Madonna of Kiev, uh, so much so that Vladimir's grandmother had built a particular monastery in a village called Vishorod, just north of Kiev. That icon was already reported to have had miraculous intercessions and uh, and healings and things of that nature almost immediately. And thus, when it was taken by a rival Rus prince, the Prince of Vladimir Suzdal, uh, Andrei Bogolyevich, when he invaded and seized uh, Kiev, he took the icon back to Vladimir, and then towards the Mongol invasion, that icon got transferred to Moscow, where it's known now as Our Lady of Vladimir. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it was originally, and for hundreds of years, kept in Kiev, and it's still regarded in Russian Orthodoxy as their most sacred icon, along with the Madonna of Kazan, which was in Fatima for several years. And so that's the story of the Madonna of Kiev. And there's another aspect to Ukraine. And yeah. I think this is very interesting here is that, in, and I'm quoting from the book, in 1987, the Holy Mother began appearing above the tower of a small wooden Orthodox church dedicated to the Holy Trinity and belonging to the Greek Catholic community in Hushrev, or however you say that. So to appear above this wooden Orthodox church. And so um, a lot of times, of course, we think about uh, Marian apparitions being strictly Roman Catholic, but we know that's not the case. And in this yeah. book as well, The World of Marian Apparitions, when you pick this up, you can also learn about Zenum, Egypt, where Our Lady appears above a church and Muslims and Christians and Orthodox, all religions mm -hmm. are able to see the Madonna in Zenum, Egypt. And so you can learn that story. But what's the story here about this Marian apparition of 1987? So this one, uh, so in which is now considered one of the sacred sites for the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which even in the 1980s was still in what they call their catacomb period of their history. Uh, just to get some really quick historical background without having to get into all of Soviet history, but Effectively, especially after Stalin, all churches that were outside of the Russian Orthodox Church were, and even the Russian Orthodox Church to a great extent, were suppressed, either be, having to become state-owned uh, patriotic, so-called patriotic, that were entirely controlled by the Kremlin, or they were pure and simple suppressed. So uh, one of the, and a couple of great heroes came from this period, uh, especially within the Ukrainian Catholic Church. But this was one of them. This was the Church of the Holy Trinity in Hushiv, which had been closed down by government orders. And as uh, you noted, the KGB couldn't even stop people from coming for a while, but they would often uh, use military or militia convoys to stop people from going to sacred sites like Hushiv during the Soviet bloc era. Now, this apparition is connected to Josip Terelia, uh, who was a Ruthenian Catholic folks of the southern Ukraine, Eastern Slovakia. And he 
he was himself imprisoned in a gulag as well as in a prison cell in the Soviet Union where he experienced visions of Mary coming to him and comforting him while he was in prison. And one particular cell that he was sentenced to, a notorious freezing block, where the Soviets, when this happened to multiple Catholic priests, unfortunately, but if they were particularly hard people to break, they would be put in this room that would just be exposed to the Russian winter, usually having no more than a light bulb for warmth or comfort. And they would often, the guards would often shut down that light bulb. It's just psychological torture to leave you alone in a cold, dark room, freezing to death. But the idea was, is to slowly freeze you to death, break you down, and expose you to the elements. Torelia was one of such prisoners, and the KGB had tried to kill him multiple times through this freezing room. And while he was in this room one night, he had. They had turned out the lights. They had uh, made sure to make it as unhospitable as possible. But that was when he spot, encountered his first vision of the Mother of God, and she had said to him, "You've called me. I have come." And she brought a warm light to him, something that even other guards had experienced. Uh, this was something that he had wrote about and talked about. The Russians were trying to stop him from talking about his Marian apparitions. And the particular way he saw Mary was that icon of Vladimir, one of these sacred images to the Ukrainians and to the Eastern Slavic peoples in general. And then when Hushev was experiencing its own Marian apparitions, he was among the witnesses who had started to see it. This was... Uh, 1987, almost a year to the day after the tragedy at Chernobyl, uh, the greatest nuclear disaster in history happened, and there was a glowing coming from this particular church near Kiev. Uh, my immediate joke was, of course, well, yeah, of course it's glowing. Everything's irradiated. Why wouldn't it? But as it turned out, it was actually the mother of God coming to the Ukrainian people and warning them that Russia was not going to stand forever and that their job was to pray and to live them and to conform themselves to Mary's calling. This happened for several weeks in 1987. Again, the KGB tried to do what they had always done, which was prevent the Catholics from being able to celebrate or head to their Marian sites. They could not stop the thousands of people that were coming, though. And so eventually they had to relent and let the faithful come to the church in this tiny village of Shiva. And now it has become one of the most sacred sites for the Ukrainian Catholic Church. Many, many of the previous major archbishops of the church have made pilgrimages to the spot. And it's now, thankfully, you know, with the desalinization and everything, it's now a church that is open to people. Many will take a journey there, especially from Lviv and other Catholic cities, to see the site of Mary. But but one of the things she had warned is that they needed to consecrate themselves and to remember because Russia would eventually come back. And uh, Mary, what I love about this apparition is Mary doesn't give comfort to the West either. She's not trying to say that we're righteous or better because we're not Russia, which is a delightful one. She warns that even the, that the West, too, is evil, but she also states that the godlessness of the West was an official policy like it was in the Soviet Union, and that's 
what he was warning us about it. Yeah, this is the message. Both the East and the West are evil. The difference is that the godlessness of the West has not been officially announced. So the godlessness. And so we think about (laughs) the ungodly things that we in the West uh, have committed ourselves to. And that, you know, from from abortion to homosexuality to things like that. This is probably, these are evil acts that are being carried out. So let's look a little bit more at the message. Uh, You mentioned that she said, pray for Russia. Russia will only convert when all Christians will pray for it. And so that's what Our Lady of Fatima said. So it's echoing that that message of Fatima. Um, Yeah. Uh, Ukraine, my daughter, I pray for you, for your children, for your future. There will come a time when your people so in love with God will gain independence and become a salvation for those who keep their faith in Jesus Christ. Lucifer is losing strength to keep his place on the throne of darkness. He has already begun announcing that he has improved, but this is not true. Lucifer is intelligent and cunning. So really revealing to us a little bit also about uh, what we already know about evil and the lure of evil and temptation and such. Mm-hmm. No, uh, what I thought was powerful there is in 1987, she's warning the Ukrainian people, one, that she is, she's reassuring the Ukrainian people that she is praying for them and has not forgotten them. Uh, thing I think a lot of Ukrainians in the past have felt because, well, the Soviet Union's power seemed indomitable like it at that point. But she has all given them like this prophecy just a couple, let's see, 1987. So that was merely four years before the collapse of the Soviet Union when Ukraine would gain its independence. And she's telling them this will happen, but it's almost what delights me about the message is that's not the end point. That's not the big part of the prophecy. The prophecy is still what Mary has always called us to, which is to pray and to forgive our enemies. She even informed Terelia that he needed to forgive his enemies and pray for the people who persecute him, his literal persecutors. I think sometimes we forget what persecution can look like, but yes, being locked up in a cell to freeze to death for your faith is a persecution we, none of us can even imagine, I think, in the West right now. And she had warned that these were things that were necessary, and I love that in all these Marian apparitions, the message is always, we have to come back. We have to either come back or remain in Mary's embrace. And uh, the other thing that amazed me was that, again, like you said, it's echoing Fatima, pray for Russia. Russia has to convert. (laughs) We must pray for his conversion. Yeah, you mentioned that message of forgiveness. And uh, what's really nice here is that the messages Mm -hmm. are bolded in the text. So you're really drawn to read them. And so Mary said to Joseph, you should learn to forgive those who persecute you the most. Difficult years are before you, judgments, degradation. But starting today, you'll never be afraid again. And so this is really the gospel, isn't it? That, and that's what we see with these apparitions. Yeah. It's renewing the gospel message, drawing us back to it. Learn to forgive. Well, Jesus says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. You know, And so this is really a message of the gospel, I think. But then you know, you'll never be afraid again. Jesus saying to the apostles over and over again, do not be afraid. Be not afraid. 
and mm-hmm. uh, of course John Paul II too, echoing uh, those words as well. So it, it's a message that we really haven't focused on until what has been going on between Russia and Ukraine in recent days, weeks, and months. So the visionary, sometimes I think we always say, like, what happened to the visionary? Is the visionary still alive or whatever? And it would seem that he is. Yeah. Uh, the, the concluding paragraph of this little section on Our Lady of Ukraine, now in exile, he decided to settle in Canada and began working to spread the message entrusted to him by Our Lady. Several times in the course of his mission, uh, Terralia met with Pope St. John Paul II, a man who knew a thing or two about communists. So uh, it seems that he's still alive. I would love to hear, you know, I don't know if he's publicly spoken, but I wonder what he would be saying today in the midst of all this is, does he have a message or is there a message for us uh, that he's speaking, I wonder? Yeah, he actually, unfortunately, it doesn't mention this in the book, he passed away in 2009. Uh, well into his into his into his age, uh, but he had put out a book that was translated in English. I think it's called "Witness to Apparitions" in English uh, that you can still find in some used bookstores, as I learned. Uh, but yeah, he went to Amsterdam on a speaking tour. He was given an exit visa during the Soviet times. You couldn't leave the country without an exit visa, which were harder to get depending on who you were but he found when he left the soviet union he got a message that he would never be allowed to re-enter the country so they actually snuck his exile on him almost and probably the cruelest practical joke because he couldn't even say goodbye to his homeland or anything like that he was just exiled and never came back and uh, he did eventually return to ukraine after for a couple trips after the fall of the Soviet Union, but I do wonder, because he lived to 2009 and was watching the new Russian regime rising, so I do wonder what he would say about these times, and especially that call that we needed to keep praying for Russia even after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, One of the things about, like, a Marian apparition, for example, is, and in my living room, I have this whole cabinet of statues that I've acquired in all of my travels of the Blessed Mother, and so... Typically, you know, you go to Borang or Bano or Lourdes or Fatima or wherever you go, you're going to buy the statue of, yeah. the, of the image. And so um, I'm wondering, you know, because this is an Eastern apparition, there there is no description of what Our Lady looked like that I saw in this little excerpt in this uh, book about Marian apparitions. Uh, so I don't know what Mary looked like or anything like that. But, you know, f- as a Westerner, I wonder if there's a statue or would it be more common for them to depict how Mary appeared in an icon? It's far more likely to depict how Mary would appear in an icon. Uh, I'm spacing on the Greek term for it, but there's a belief, especially in Eastern Christianity, that icons are sort of windows to eternity that they can't give us that connection to the saints and to the whole figures that are depicting because, you know, God being outside of time, we can, he can make these things present to us in our own life, which is why I keep icons around me at all times. The only Marian statue I can think of was one associated with St. Hyacinth uh, that was made of alabaster and uh, evacuated from the city of Kiev on the eve of the Mongol uh, invasion 
unfortunately, one of Ukraine's many, much of its heritage is that heritage that the city has been occupied and attacked multiple times, like it's being attacked today. And at this point, the Mongols destroyed everything except for a couple of key cathedrals. But Hyacinth had managed to escape with the Blessed Sacrament, as well as this alabaster statue of Mary from the Cathedral of Kiev. And as he initially went to Lviv, I think it's now in the St. Nicholas Church in Krakow, but that's one of those, that's the only statue I can think of that has a miraculous or devotion to it. For the most part, it's going to be icons. Interesting. Yeah, I would love to see the image associated uh, with this Marian apparition. Now, as you mentioned icons, we already talked about it. one icon in particular that opened this chapter in, in the book on Marian apparitions, available from Sophia Institute Press. And uh, that was the Madonna of Kiev, or Our Lady of Tenderness. Are there any other icons you're familiar with from mm-hmm. Ukraine? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, there's one in St. Sophia, which I just mentioned. That's an 11th century church that was built r- right after the Christianization of the Rus people. And, and in that church, if you were to go in, you would see a mosaic that's, that depicts a very unique picture of the Virgin Mary. It's called the Arons or the Aranta. And the reason why it's called that is because it's one of the rare images we have of Mary where her hands are held in the Oran's praying position, as if she's outstretching her arms over the entire city of Kiev and praying for it and holding it within her grasp. It's been believed since the 11th century that as long as that thing stands there, as long as Mary is able to stay on her indestructible walls, then that Kiev will be free and will rise from whatever attacks it gets. Uh, this is such a powerful devotion that the former First Lady, Katerina Yukashenko of uh, Ukraine, has actually started to encourage devotion to it. She carries a card with the a picture of the mosaic in her wallet. She's encouraged other people to do so, and has even encouraged people to consecrate themselves to Mary, uh, with in mind the, the Orans of Kiev, and when I say this is one of those, it's a rare architectural gem. It was among the first things to be declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO. Not just the St. Sophia, but this particular image, because it's been a powerful one for the Ukrainian since the 11th century. And so far, from what I've heard in the news, despite the fact that the Ukrainian intelligence service is pretty close to St. Sophia, it has still stood. There have been no attacks on the cathedral so far. So there's still a great devotion. She'll have many candles lit for her this week, I'm sure. What I really appreciate as you share about this Oran's Mary was carrying of that image. And I think for us, we think about that sometimes. And so we carry sacramentals. So we might wear the miraculous medal, for example, that Our Lady gave to St. Catherine Labore, but even to have like a holy picture. And uh, I think that's a a beautiful form of devotion that maybe uh, we could Mm -hmm. recover. I think it's a wonderful form of devotion and just from uh, not just in Ukraine, but all of Poland, uh, in another Ukrainian city, Lviv, which is kind of the de facto Western capital of the nation, uh, that was where the famous Lviv oath was given by the Polish monarch, and the Our Lady of Czestochowa was given her crown and the title of Queen of Poland. And many, many patriots of Poland afterwards would carry 
that image of Our Lady of Chisahova, like even Kashmir Spolovsky was famous for having that as his banner in battle. And it's a devotion I think is so strange to us now in the modern West, but it's one I hope we really do recover. And to, all, to be able to look at these images and see them as more than just pretty art, but see them as a gift that Mary has given to us and that through these gifts, miracles can still occur. For sure. This is a magnificent book. I know that maybe during the month of Mary, my aim will be to read one a day. There's over 40 apparitions that are chronicled here, and I would love to learn about some of the ones that I'm a bit unfamiliar with. Uh, I always think it's very powerful that Mary appears, she gives a message, and I think it's meant to be lived. That's that's one of the reasons why I wrote A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, was because I wanted people not only to know the messages, but I wanted them to put it into action in their life, where to live these messages. Messages. And so Mary comes as a loving mother with these messages, calling us back to our son, encouraging us in our Christian walk. And I think they should be heard. And this book is going to help us listen and live those messages, I think. So uh, what a wonderful resource and so grateful that uh, Sophia Institute Press picked this book up and published it. Yeah, I am too. It's a beautiful introduction, especially if you're like me, a convert who was still playing catch-up on Marian apparitions, this is a really handy resource. And if people want to learn more about the book, how can they do that, Michael? Uh, they can go to SophiaInstitute.com, where they will be able to order order the hardback or the ebook, whatever they prefer. And you can also find it, of course, at your local Catholic bookstores. If you have one, one that still somehow survived COVID, please, please do give them a visit because I know they struggle. And you can also find it through the big boys like Target or Amazon as well. Wonderful. I'm delighted to have my own copy and it's a book that I'll be sure to crack open and read very often in my own study and love for the Blessed Mother. Thanks so much for joining me today on How They Love Mary, Michael. Thank you, Father. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that my conversation with today's guest was one that enriched you spiritually and also helped you to foster a deeper love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. If you enjoyed this podcast, could you do me a favor? Go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast so that others might find it as a recommended podcast from other Catholic podcasts that they might listen to. And if you don't mind, share about the show on social media so that your friends and family might come to find it and be enriched by our conversations as well. And if you don't mind, you can follow me on social media at FR Edward Looney on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And this show, How They Love Mary, will soon be a book available from Sophia Institute Press. You can already go over to their website and pre-order How They Love Mary. Thanks so much for listening. May God bless you today. Know of my prayers for you. And may Mary pray for you today and always.